We're all set. Cool. But I don't have it. <laughs> We're all set, but I don't have a clever intro. I just, in my mind, I'm like, I should come up with a clever intro. And then in my heart, I'm like, I should just have a conversation with a friend. And it should start all casual like. Sort of ease into the conversation. We could do that. Sort of like like a rolling start, you know, where yeah. somebody just sort of comes. Or you could do like a, a fade technique. Like we're sitting at this table. Somebody just walks up, listens to us talking about Code Red, and then sort of launching a show that way. We could even make it like some clinking glasses and stuff. So it would be like we were in a, a actual coffee shop. Or, that's or a wrestling of paper cups. Or a pub. Even or a pub, it's we're allowed to drink on this podcast, right? We're allowed. We're allowed. And also, I loved your. I liked your Freudian slip there. We're talking about Code Eight today, but you I said know, code, code Red. red. <sighs> like you're thinking about Mountain Dew. I am. It's true. That is something I've wondered about you, Paul. Are you a purist when it comes to your Mountain no, Dew, or do you like I the others? Not. I am. I am totally. I can go for any flavor of Mountain Dew there is. Well, there's some that are better than others, right? Code yeah. Red is the my. So right downstairs, I have two <laughs> two twelve packs of traditional Mountain Dew, one twelve pack of Code Red. If we had Baja Blast, I would definitely have that because I think that's my favorite. Oh, your favorite, even over traditional or oh, just yeah. your favorite? Yeah. Oh, Baja wow. Blast. Whenever I go to Taco Bell, Baja Blast. Got to go right for the Baja Blast. So when you get a Baja Blast at Taco Bell, what what is your food item of choice? <laughs> is this sort of the rolling start that we were talking about? Well, n- now that you ruined it by saying it. <laughs> All right, so so I get, I have to have a beefy five layer burrito. Okay. Uh, sometimes it's a gordita crunch, you know, one of those cheesy gordita crunches. Sometimes yep. it's a chalupa, no tomato on anything. You can't do tomato on any of this, and then a soft taco. And so why no tomato? Tomato is disgusting. Tomato is fantastic on Mexican no dishes. No. But no. <laughs> I have tomato is the fruit of the devil. I have not tried a chalupa in twenty years because back when I played little league baseball, me and my best friend were on the same team. It was a Friday night game. He was coming over to stay at my house afterwards. We got some. He got the chalupa at Taco Bell on the way home from the little, which league I game. think is great. It's delicious and. I, I don't I don't remember having any bad thoughts about it before, but he <laughs> yacked over at our house that night, and ever since then we've only been able to call it the Chapuca. Oh yeah, yeah. Taco so Bell I, is never good. Never. Not good. And I and I, I you know I'm not a Taco Bell hater. I like I like Taco Bell more than the average person. I think. Yeah. So so in your like in if we were doing a top five during the show on best Mexican food restaurants that people would actually recognize. What would you, what would be your list? Um, I know that you eat Mexican food all the time. I do. I'm a big fan. Um, it, it's tough when you start mixing the different restaurant levels, right? Cause you have your sit down, 
you've got your quick service, you've got your fast food and they're all, you know, they all have different things that I like. Uh, so if I had to put together a top three, it'd be Taco Bueno, which of is course. a Southern, of course, fast, you know, Mexican fast food, but it's Mexican fast food where they slow simmer their refried beans for hours <laughs> and hours. It's great. Uh, and, and then I'd put, uh, Chipotle in there. Chipotle is pretty good. You know, yeah. They're, they're, uh, uh, I think my favorite of the quick service options. Too that much had. cilantro. Too much cilantro. I see. I'm a fan of the cilantro. Oh, do you, does cilantro taste like soap to you? Yes. Oh, yeah. you're one of those. Disgusting. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. So for me, it, it tastes like a delicious flavor, not soap. So oh, yeah. It's terrible. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of their cilantro lime rice. Yeah. Cilantro. <laughs> And uh, tomato and cilantro go together in 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 hell to me. Yes, in hell. <laughs> so I can't believe you said Chipotle was all right. No, um, because I can get some stuff without cilantro in it, and so that makes it all right. I I I like their burritos and stuff, but I have to be very specific: no cilantro. So go ahead. No, so give me your non-cilantro rice. Just give me that lime rice. <laughs> Uh, and then my favorite of all time is actually a little place called Seoul Taco, spelled like Seoul Korea, and it's Korean Mexican fusion. Oh my! And they have this bulgogi steak burrito, Paul. It's insane. They use this kimchi fried rice, and you know bulgogi, which is a, a special marinated Korean, you know, uh, meat beef. Wow, it's fantastic. So I've never got a. What's that? I've never had Korean food ever. Period. Period. Never had oh, Korean food. I knew you were boring when it came to your <laughs> culinary adventures, but that's just a travesty. <laughs> yeah, never. We're going to correct that. All right. In fact, we'll correct it on one of our virtual tours, even. Oh, really? No, I no. can't correct it on a virtual tour, but I was, this was is nice effort at a segue there. It would have been a great segue if it was plausible. <laughs> what is up, my nerds? Welcome inside pop culture with fanboy and know it all. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome back inside our crazy brains. Boy, this lockdown has gone on way too long. That's right. I'm on, I think I'm on day 43, 41, 43. I, I've been keeping track by Nerf sniping my wife. I've, and I've been watching that, yeah. I've good. been following that on Twitter. Your, uh, your constant assaults on your wife, which sounds really terrible, but it's not. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's with Nerf guns, yeah, and so it's yeah. fine. Uh, but I started that uh, a couple of days after we really started officially doing our own stay-at-home stuff. So I'm on day 39 of Nerf sniping. So you do means... every single day? Yes. Yeah, every single day. Is and I post the... Is tired of that? Is she getting tired of it? Yes. Yeah, it's like a. She never looks like very happy when I see her getting felted by Nerf darts. Well, see, if you're watching on Twitter, you're only getting. Oh. I'm only posting there about 
every week, just letting people know I'm still doing it because where I'm really posting the best stuff is on Instagram stories. Yeah. And I don't do Instagram because in Instagram stories, you can add a soundtrack like, and you can use all these amazing, you know, all this amazing music. And so I've used, you know, James Bond and Indiana Jones and Assassin's Creed and uh, Simon and Garfunkel and Kansas. Garfunkel. Mrs. Robinson? No. Uh, I'm trying. Like, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, Baby. I'm blanking. Hello, darkness, my old friend. What's that song oh, called? Sound of Silence. Sound of Silence. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I've used Kansas. I've used Disturbed. <laughs> I've used uh, Panic at the Disco from Frozen 2. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, though, you can't export the videos with the soundtrack because of licensing, right? Of course. So if you want the full experience, you have to follow me on Instagram or on no, Facebook. Actually you're on Facebook. I also cross share them to Facebook. Yes, yeah, I never more. check Facebook. So I well, do. now you've got a reason because there are 39 yeah. by the time people are listening to this, there's going to follow me on Instagram. Yeah. My Instagram handle is office Spidey. Office Spidey. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And I've got, there's 40 plus slow motion soundtrack Nerf snipe videos. And so all to say, you're asking if she's getting tired of it. What you'll see over the course of the videos is really this, this up and down. It's like a good family guy joke that goes on too long. There's no good good family guy joke. There's, there are some Paul, there are some, we can admit that. And it's like one of the ones that just goes on way too long where at first you're like, I don't know if this is funny. And then it keeps going. You're like, all right, I'm in on this. And then it keeps going. And you're like, I'm back out, but then it keeps going. And so you're like, they have this much commitment. I'm all the way back in. So this is your version of Uma Oprah. Uma Oprah. See, you're too young to get that joke. That reference. I don't get that joke. Oh man. Uma Thurman and Oprah. Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. This was when uh, David Letterman hosted the Oscars. Um, bazillion years ago and and so he just kept looking at the at uma thurman and, and oprah winfrey in the audience and he kept saying uma oprah uma oprah that was it that was the whole that was the whole stick just for a couple of minutes of that yeah you were seven at the time so you probably wouldn't have seen it <laughs> that's right i was not I wasn't watching the Oscars at that point i was reading my 1993 complete <laughs> guide to movies that's right. That's right. Are we actually talking about something today? <laughs> we're talking about a movie. Oh, an a movie. Probably and not, we're talking. Not will be at the Oscars. It will not be at the Oscars. I don't. Know. I I sincerely hope it is not. <laughs> uh, but that might be a spoiler alert. We're talking about Code Eight, which is on Netflix right now. Yes, it is. And uh, after we talk about Code 8, we thought, you know, in this time of quarantine, as we're all going a little batty, a little stir crazy, we thought we'd also, we'd go ahead and like rank, you know, some some destinations that we'd like to visit virtually since we can't visit them in person. Because we all need to get away. We really need to get away. I've been stuck in this house. Just going to the mall would be a nice change of pace. And I... I I actually had to cancel. The whole reason this came about is because I had to cancel my own family trip because of the coronavirus. So now I'm trying to figure out a way to take cheap vacations without a without actually leaving home because I'll never be able to leave home again. 
Uh, did you at least get a refund for your canceled trip? Uh, travel credit. Okay. And well, that's... we're still negotiating with with some people to get some stuff back. But so well, that's the second best thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's actually going on your trip. <laughs> then there's a full refund. So I guess it's the third best thing. Then there's the travel credit. Yeah, travel credit. It's better than nothing. I was thinking we were going to burn a lot of money on that. So, but yeah. that's that's you know beside the point. I'm sad about my trip, but I'm happy that there are so many places you can go to virtually these days. That's right. We're going to help Paul plan his his and Wendy's virtual vacation. So Wendy, uh, buckle up because <laughs> Paul off the air agreed that I get to plan your virtual vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's not true. Not true. And that's actually the way I built my list of virtual vacation destinations. <laughs> it's the five places Paul and Wendy are going to visit from the comfort of Paul's haunted office. Oh my goodness. That's not how I built my list, but oh, now I'm regretting been... that it's not. Uh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I'm happy. <laughs> but before we get to our most desirable virtual destinations and before we get to the most least important thing it's time to talk about code eight code eight freshly dropped on netflix after it had a a tour at the end of 2019, a global tour to thank its Indiegogo backers, because this was a privately funded feature film. Yeah. Feature being used very graciously. (laughs) Yeah. In some ways, the backstory, it's a little like, it's a little like Pool Glossari in a way where the backstory is more interesting than the movie itself, you know? Except unlike Pool Glossari, neither is particularly interesting. So more interesting is relative. Yeah. So the the story behind Code Eight is that these two brothers, Robbie and some other Stephen, Stephen, also not brothers. They're not brothers. Co- they're cousins. 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 Robbie and Stephen Amell uh, got together and decided they really wanted to make this movie for some reason. Uh, Stephen. He is actually Arrow from the CW's long-running nope. show. Nope, Robbie. No, that's not true. Robbie is Arrow. No. Nope. Now, now I'm just messing with you. You Sorry. are. <laughs> you are. This is our last <laughs> podcast. Last. Paul's like, I really enjoyed this show. <laughs> Son of a Vondroop. <laughs> yeah, so they got You're right there. And and they both have a pretty robust fan base, right? Are you going to deny that? I, I will. I mean, they do, but I disagree with it. <laughs> and so they want. I don't to- think that I don't think they deserve it. <laughs> well, I think that we might agree on that point, but but they raised something like three point four million dollars to to make this this very. Uh, Strange yet predictable sci-fi retro superhero dystopian story. Is that about right? I mean, that's about right. Yeah, it's a it's a dystopian story featuring superheroes that are actually supervillains, um, robbing 
banks and has some sort of social subtext in it too because these these supervillains are are being um they're 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 being discriminated against because of their superpowers we normal people do not like superpowered people that's why i keep apparently that's why i keep mine hidden i just don't want to have the uh have people hating on me for for my special talents yeah yeah, it's a it's a film that feels like it wants to steal. <laughs> you just slid right on. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, you know, I was just gonna let people decide for themselves whether or not to believe you. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, it's a it's a premise that now feels tired because we saw it done in the X Men films. Sure. And uh, but you know, I saw some people trying to pitch this as well. This is like X Men films for adults. Yeah, it is definitely an adult movie. It is, but it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like an adult movie at all. I think it's actually, I think in terms of the plotting, in terms of what the movie is actually about, it feels dumber than an X-Men movie. Right, and more juvenile. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The adult content is there, but the adult thought is not. Right. Yeah. It it ends up sort of being proof of the fact that you can, that this adult content, violence, language, what have you, is not a recipe for a more serious movie. Right. You know, we've, we've seen comic book fans argue that, oh, some of these comic book movies are being ruined by being PG-13 films and they need to be R-rated in order to truly capture their grit and their grime and there have been some successful ones in terms of performance and even in terms of overall story quality. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Logan on here and, Joker. and even if we disagree with, uh, yeah, the Joker. And even if we disagree with, uh, the direction of the content, even something like Deadpool, um, right. Even was considered sure. well-made and, you know, right. it worked as a storytelling device. Right. Um, but this proves that it was not the, the grittiness that made it work, but rather the storytelling craft. Right, right. Because this film has the grittiness. It has the language and the blood and, you know, the drugs and the hard content that, but the movie itself, the story, the character development, even the acting all ends up feeling like the CW appropriately decided since Steven and Robbie have both been on the CW as superheroes decided to make an R-rated movie, but still make it feel like it was for yeah uh, dramatic 12, teenagers. Yeah, twelve-year-olds. I mean, this this really feels like a twelve-year-old story, loaded with a bunch of f-words, a lot of blood, as you say, drug use. It felt it was really disappointing on a lot of levels, and I think that they missed um, they missed the chance. I think to make what could have been a fun movie that you could have watch just it's it's watchable it can be reasonably entertaining that you could sit down and and just while away a couple of hours but i think that it lost an opportunity because the content just makes it harder to watch you know it's it's it seems like this is a movie that that could have been made with 
parents with with older kids in the house and and it could have been a fun watch especially during this quarantine time it could have been a really fun watch and you know it's di- it's done very well on netflix so perhaps for for some people it was that fun watch but i just don't see it i think it could have been a much better movie without the content right yeah it ends up feeling like it becomes you know even in the st- the message it wants to get across like right. you said um that it has this, it wants to be a parable, but it ends up weirdly just becoming kind of simultaneously. And it's a weird way that they're able to do this simultaneously. It ends up feeling heavy handed, but also muddled. Yeah. And it's delivery of like, what message am I actually supposed to take away from this? Right. But also the way you told the story made it clear that you wanted to give a message. And so it feels heavy handed, even though I don't know what you're smacking me with. Yeah, yeah. It was it was an ambitious movie. It it was an ambitious movie in that a 13-year-old trying to create a, an ambitious movie would make something like this. It feels like, you know, I think that this uh with a lot of the content that a 13-year-old might find edgy and gritty and stuff. I think that I think that um it just wound up being as you say muddled, a little bit dumb a little bit off-putting, you know, all the way through. And and maybe maybe there part part of that is because those Amel cousin brothers are just it's hard to take them seriously because they look like they just walked out of GQ, you know? <laughs> I think it's um they wanted to make a, a a gritty movie, but they don't have really a gritty persona to go along with it you know? Right. And so I think that it just had, it just had some problems all the way around. Yeah. The whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, I'd never really watched anything, at least knowingly with Robbie Amell. So I was surprised (laughs) to find out that apparently he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I kept thinking this is Taylor Lautner and (laughs) Taylor Lautner wasn't a good actor either. That is a Uh, very fair comparison. and, And so you're exactly right. They both try to be uh, stoic and glowering throughout the the film and neither of them really has the gravitas to pull it off and so they just more come across as pouty yeah and like i said just very it just all felt very juvenile yeah like yeah I, honestly this was sort of a movie that i thought if it had taken it a step or two farther down a certain path it could have been a great movie for our hurt so good segment you know because it really felt like it was on the verge of becoming a delightfully terrible terrible movie as it was it wasn't terrible but it certainly wasn't delightful right it ends up just being kind of aggressively mediocre where it's not bad enough that you can have fun and it's never good enough that you're like that was really good it's like it exceeds your expectations just enough to really let you down That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is interesting that it became so successful on on Netflix, you know, because obviously, as you alluded to earlier, it had it had a, a worldwide tour, a release of about thirty minutes, and then it was gone. And then it showed up on Netflix's platform earlier this month, and because of, because of the fandom that that these guys have. And because of the coronavirus that we're sort of situation that we're in, I think it was really a, a great situation to make the movie 
perform well when otherwise it would have just completely disappeared and I would not have minded it disappearing. Right. Yeah. It, it feels like it success is likely a product of the moment uh, of the fact that, and, and I'm sure some of the total numbers of people watching it is that. Right. And yet I was reading up on it and not only did 30,000 people pay, you know, upwards of two and a half to three and a half million dollars of their own money to have this movie. What's that? Each. No, not each. Yeah. Each um, total to have this made back before there was ever a coronavirus. Again, back before we ever had, we knew that the coronavirus was going to be a thing for us this year. Quibi, the new, you know, mobile TV platform had already uh, announced that it was optioning a Code 8 spinoff series for its platform in December right. of 2019. And so there was obviously something there. And I'm, you know, I think that it makes me curious to know who are the people that are outside of quarantine paying for this? It's a good question. I I don't think that any checks went to uh, went to this effort from my household, but who knows? Maybe I'll have to ask my wife about that. Yeah, uh, Wendy, if... You're responsible. You have some, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> so, have you checked out Quibi just out of curiosity? I have not yet. I've been seeing the ads, you know, of course, all over Hulu and other places. Where I, 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 it hasn't tracked me too many other places. Mostly, I've been seeing them on Hulu because I am so aggressive about my privacy settings and all my other browsing. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I'm learning about you slowly. That's right. Uh, Quibi is, is is interesting to me. I'm, it's picked my it's or piqued my interest because it's new. Yeah. But as a concept, it it hasn't it it has not appealed to me yet. Just because I like, like I get it. Right. But also at you know at ten to fifteen minutes that these shows are supposed to be. Yeah. I'm like that's not. What's that? It's it's supposed to be less than ten. Believe it or not. Less than ten. Yeah. Um, like it's, I guess it's half as long as your regular broadcast television show, minus the commercials, right? So when we're binging these shows on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime, they tend to be about twenty minutes an episode. So it's cutting that in half. But I was just thinking about my own viewing habits, and I guess to me, Quibi seems to be trying to solve a problem that I personally have never had where I'm like, I only have 10 minutes and I want to watch a whole episode of a show. Right. It's like, if I have 10 minutes to spare, I'm watching highlights on my ESPN app. I'm reading, you know, I'm browsing on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Like to me, 10 minutes has never been an amount of time where I'm like, I want to watch a complete episode right now. Yeah. No. So maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you. And I think that, that it is unfortunate for Quibi that it came around during this time when people have lots of time to tell. <laughs> you know, I think it was intended for people who just want to watch something real quick when they're on the subway or on the bus or waiting for something to happen. Um, yeah, and, and people just have gobs of time. And I just don't think I've, – I've actually seen a couple of Quibi stories. They're pretty lightweight, which might make Code – code eight a perfect fit for it actually because it doesn't feel like you need a lot of depth to tell you know code eight follow-up stories um the thing about quibi that really annoys me though is until just recently you could only watch them on your phone 
or on your tablet. And so for a while, when I was reviewing these shows for, for, you know, another organization, I had seriously six screens around my desk. <laughs> it looked incredibly techy. I had the computers going. I had the phone going. I had my iPad that was I was watching Quibi with. I felt like such a hypocrite because we often talk about screen time not being that healthy. Yeah, six screens going at once. That was a lot. Yeah, I mean that fact that that multiplies your screen time by a factor of six. <laughs> Every hour is now six hours of screen time for Paul. Keep your screen time down. Don't multitask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes as a reviewer, you got to ignore your own rules. That's right. So, Paul, when I boil it right down to it, what on a scale of one to ten, where does Code Eight land? Oh you? my goodness, I. I think I would have to give it a solid 2.8. I think it was not very good. I think, you know what I think would help this movie tremendously? Is watching the movie while you're listening to the sound from another movie go on. Mm. You know, because that has sometimes happened where you click on a, a TV channel and you're getting audio from a different TV channel. That can be yeah. really better. And I think that that a movie like Code 8 can definitely be improved by, you know, just mixing it up a little bit. That would be my advice. Isn't that the the entire concept and premise of the new animated show, The Midnight Gospel? Is it really? Like that they're taking audio from a podcast where it's like the creator talking to different theorists and, you know, self-help, you know, whatever intellectuals and then they're creating like animated cartoon some giving it some premise but then basically just laying it over the top and from the reviews i've read it oftentimes doesn't really seem to have anything to do with what you're watching so like you have to watch the series twice to watch what's happening and to listen to what's happening <laughs> well this is really encouraging because i just assigned midnight gospel to somebody so i will find out everything that it's about soon all right but not now. Um, it so also we, sounds like it also sounds like uh, I've seen this meme, this video. It's not really a meme, but it's like a video where somebody took Doc McStuff scenes from Doc McStuffins and overlaid audio from Pulp Fiction and Samuel L. Jackson oh, from Pulp Fiction. Goodness, <laughs> it's real good. It, <laughs> it makes instantly it makes Pulp Fiction and Doc McStuffins better. So quick story from my childhood, back when drive-ins were still a thing. Yep. My parents didn't necessarily have a lot of money. So one thing that we, we sometimes did is is my dad would take my sister and I to a drive-in, but we wouldn't be in a car. We would just be watching the movie from outside the actual drive-in theater, and we would make <laughs> up our own dialogue. It was the best, the best. What is there any particular film that sticks in your mind as like one of your favorites to have fake dubbed that way? You know what? It, I was I was young at the time, so I don't have any recollection. I think that there was a there was a, a martial arts movie that was super great that we did. Um, I think that there was oh goodness gracious, we because we were kids, we still had to be careful. My dad was still careful about taking us to appropriate movies but we did a couple of action flicks that were pretty great and it was it was fun it was a hoot 
You get you and I can just oldsters say. That's right. As oldsters and Captain Raymond Holt of the Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> uh, all right, I will. I will wrap this up by giving my uh, rating of Code Eight. I don't think for on my own personal scale of one to ten. When I start to get below three, that's when I think it starts to get into that really bad that it starts to become good territory. Yeah. I think for me, this one ends up just on the outside of that. I'd give it a 3.9 oh, three. out of uh, gotcha. out of 10 uh, because there are some things that did surprise me in a positive way. Like I thought the special effects were surprisingly good for Pretty a low good. budget film. And I liked the mom, the, 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 the mom that who's dying of cold. We never even talked about the plot of this movie, but there's a mom dying of cold because she's, she can freeze things. And I really liked her. I liked, I liked the actress. Carrie, yeah, she was probably I, the best. She was probably the best like actor in the film. Yeah, I think so. I'll give her, I'll give her that. So there you have it. Code eight on Netflix. We do not recommend that you watch this film. <laughs> there are a lot of, a lot of F words. I watched this movie with VidAngel just to try out the free VidAngel that I talked about on the last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you so I get down to like 20 minutes? It was it was still an hour and a half, but uh, it was a lot of there was a lot of silence in the film as people, you know, there are a lot of F words. I think there was something in the neighborhood of like 100 or so F words that it wiped out of my viewing experience. And so I was like, oh. It's just a silent film right now. (laughs) All right. Now, after that depressing jaunt into a post, it's not post-apocalyptic. It's just a dystopian near future scenario. Uh, It's time to talk about some fun virtual destinations that we can talk about in our own dystopian context. Exactly. In the present time. Welcome, friends, into your virtual vacation. My name is Jake, and I'll be your virtual tour guide. If you get tired of my voice, I'll let my friend Paul step in. And then you'll be really tired of his voice, and mine will sound like a welcome reprieve. A vacation inside your vacation, even. (laughs) Paul, you came up with this concept. Would you like to uh, introduce it? Kick us off here? Okay, so the concept is this. We've been stuck in our houses, our respective houses, for a very, very long time. Most of our travel has gone out the window, even if it's just traveling to the mall or traveling to a restaurant. Um, Jake and I have not been able to go outside very much at all. You have kids, so you're probably outside playing with them and whatnot, in your masks, the whole bit. But for me, you know, it's a, it's a, an occasional walk to the park, where you just try to scurry down and scurry back as quickly as possible, um, trying to get some fresh air. Going outside even has been a rarity, and it's been really nice just to step outside every once in a while. Um, It makes me want to get away. It makes me want to go on a trip and actually experience something completely different from this room that I am in right now. And so... I was just thinking, wouldn't it be great if you could sit down and take a virtual vacation? And believe it or not, there's a whole bunch of places that allow you to do just that. 
So, um, so yeah, we, we, I was thinking about virtual vacations that you can actually take as well as virtual vacations that I wish you could take. There you have it. This was a, uh, I liked this idea from Paul. I said, let's do it. It was going to be easy. And then I sat down to start thinking of, all right, what are the places I would want to visit? And I realized, and I've only realized this a few other times in my adult life, that I haven't really ever allowed myself that I can recall to think of traveling. Really? Um, yeah. And and that's crazy because I enjoy it when I do it for work. One of my favorite things to do is not to stay at a hotel, but to stay in Airbnb somewhere in the heart of the location I'm being at so I can get to more local restaurants rather than chains. Like I really love travel and the experience of travel, but I think growing up so much of my upbringing was sort of colored subconsciously by uh, this will be a odd term to those who aren't of the, of certain brands of the Christian faith, but was very dispensational. And so there was this sense that it was in, I think in my subconscious that like, you know, that wasn't some, you can't plan ahead for these types of things. You're probably going to be dead or dying in a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I just want to be clear that this is a, you know, this, that was not actually, you know, that was subtext and that that's not what most of <laughs> Christianity is, nor is it, you know, what I try to ascribe to anymore, but I there travel. was this, you're going to be dead. <laughs> yeah. It's like we were prepping for Y2K and, you know, so even as a, a 10 year old boy, like I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to be alive to see my 11th birthday. Um, <laughs> it's taking it into a depressing place. I'm afraid. And I and I I realize now as I'm, you know, 20 years later that I struggled with that with planning anything beyond the next couple of weeks in my life because I, you know, I had this sort of weird <laughs> subconscious thing that I didn't realize was as deeply rooted as I'm realizing now. So when I sat down to think, it's like I don't know, I've never really thought about where I would go to vacation because that never I never thought I would have to think about that. <laughs> Oh man, Jake, you make me so sad. So with that said, I had to do a lot more research for this than I thought (laughs) to come up with some places I'd like to visit virtually. So uh, with that said, you want to hear number five on my list? It's only up from here. It's only up from here. It's only up from here. These are a happy, positive places. That's right. All right. So number five on my list of virtual destinations, I I ended up sort of basing this on where I would actually like to go in real life. And I decided I would only pick ones that you could visit virtually right now, even though I, you know, even though I'd like to go there in person. Very interesting. Okay. Okay. So that was the approach I ended up taking after realizing my own personal, after I had my own personal journey of discovery. (laughs) I said, you can go to these places right now. <laughs> All right. So number one is in Northern Ireland, and it is the Giant's Causeway Ooh, in Northern yeah. Ireland. Yeah, uh, It's one of those places I've seen pictures of before, but I didn't really know, you know, I never saw them in context of what this actually is. And what it is, is uh, a place on the coast of Northern Ireland where there's more than 40,000 interlocking geometric mostly hexagonal basalt columns very cool or basalt so they look or basalt i've only read the word so thank you for correcting me 
I appreciate your graciousness on that. Um, <laughs> Anytime. And it is just that when you look, when you go and you look at the pictures, it just looks like a stunning place to explore. Uh, yes. Like something out of Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia out of a fantasy land where it, they it looks like, yeah, did giants lay these little tiles to them? that are these massive columns uh, to us. And uh, you can do a virtual tour of the giant's causeway in Northern Ireland. Uh, at, and I'll, I'll be putting links to these that have links in our show description if you want to check it out. Um, but yeah, the giant's causeway virtual tour. You can do a 360 degree panoramic visit. So, okay. This is actually a question I should ask at the end of your list, but as you were compiling this list, did you sort of create a bucket list for yourself? Like you say, this is a great virtual tour, but this is a place I definitely want to see in real life now, assuming I'm not dead in two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. That's what this sort of ended up becoming. Um, even though I hadn't allowed myself to use those words yet, <laughs> still a lot to unpack in this, in this mind of mine. Um, but as, as I did it, yeah, it was like, I want to go to these places, whether that's, you know, in this lifetime or the next. <laughs> Fair enough. So I I just changed my number five answer, actually. I'm going to go with, I and, and honestly, I man, there's so many things that even just you talking about the Giants Causeway, it, it I'm familiar with it. I have not seen it in real life, but it is a really cool place. And it makes me want to actually go for some reason to minus Tirith. I mm. think that would be a really great virtual tour. You know, yeah. go to minus Tirith, see the, the rings around the castle, the whole bit. You know, the, I think that would be neat to see the, the tree that grows in the middle. I'm sure that Tolkien geeks could tell me exactly what that tree is, but I think that would be a very nice place to see. But that's not my real answer. I, I uh, could have made my whole list based on Middle Earth, honestly. I, I know, I know. Helm's Deep almost made it. And Mordor, too, because what a creepy place that would be. But um, I am going to say Walt Disney World. Yeah? Yeah. I think it would be... Have you never been? I have. And oh, okay. Feeling, I'm feeling like an itch to go back. You know, I think that... Okay. That I've never been. You really need to go. You really need yeah. to go. You might be one of those people who hates it, but... My wife and I actually sort of bonded over Disney stuff when we were dating, right? We uh, we both really went to Disneyland once in our childhoods. We loved it. We thought it was great. And so um, she had the exact same map of Disneyland that I had, actually. And so that, that was sort of the thing that I thought, oh, maybe I could marry this woman. And so... Um, I have this nostalgia for, for Disney stuff. They're changing stuff all the time. One of the great things about a virtual, quote unquote, virtual tour of Disneyland or Disney World is that you can go to YouTube and you can actually take these these virtual rides, essentially, on rides that are long gone. You can do Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You can do this the submarine, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride. Um, so the idea of sort of voyaging into the past for some of those rides that I really enjoyed as a kid and are no longer there, there's something kind of cool about that. That's a fantastic segue for my number four, because on my number four, I put 
uh, VR Disney World roller coasters. Oh, very nice. Because I've never been to Disney World or Disneyland. Um, Your kids would love it. And, but I've, and I, and I'm not a Disney super fan. We've talked about that before. Yeah. I, it's like Disney stuff is, eh, that's fine. I could take it or leave it. I have no nostalgia for it. Yeah. Um, but I've heard great things about ro- their roller coasters and their rides. And I really like roller coasters and, uh, you can, like Paul said, you can do virtual Disney roller coaster rides from, uh, the oldies to the, the newbies. Like you can do a 360, 360 degree ride on the rise of the resistance there from their new, you know, galaxy star Wars yeah. thing. And you can go to, uh, Thunder Mountain Railroad or the Jungle Cruise or the Small World or Splash Mountain or the Rock and Roller Coaster. You know, you can go to all these. Small World would be a much better ride if it was a roller coaster, actually. But... Yeah, that's true. They're not all roller coasters, I should say. But they've got most of their rides they've got in 360 degrees and or in VR in different places like on YouTube. And so number four on my list was VR 360 Disney World roller coasters. Very good. Very good. Number four on my list is actually one of, it's probably my number one. No, not my number one. It's way up there on my bucket list of places that I'd really like to go. Angkor Wat. These are ancient ruins. It's actually a huge complex called Angkor. There's there's a ton of these old, old, old uh, Khmer temples, essentially, that are just spectacular. I saw pictures of them when I was a kid, like 11 or 12 years old, and they fired up my imagination so much. It's actually how I started writing. I started writing this, this fantasy story, sort of using the architecture of Angkor Wat as sort of the, the, the cornerstone of what I was writing. And so ever since then, I have always wanted to go and see those those ruins in person. You know, they they have a very Tomb Raider, very Indiana Jones type of feel to them. The jungle is encroaching on these huge stone structures. They just have this aura of mystery and magic about them. And um, I just found out as we were researching this that you can actually go and and do a Google tour of these these ruins in Angor, where you can actually walk around the ruins, you can see the the fallen walls, you can go into these weird rooms. It, it as I get older, I wonder: Am I ever actually going to be? Am I going to be able to go to Angor Wat? Am, when I have enough money to actually go, am I going to be healthy enough to go? This might be the next best thing. Yeah. I have not been to those ruins, but similar, not entirely dissimilar. I've been to uh, some of the Mayan ruins in Guatemala, mm-hmm. in the the deep jungles of Guatemala. And it is fascinating as nature has encroached over the top of them and to walk in these spaces, you know, that, you know, are, you know, of course, every space we're in is technically ancient, but when the structures on top of those places are new, you know, it doesn't have that same feeling as <laughs> boy, these structures have been around for a long time. And the the history of the peoples in and around them can be so fascinating. So totally get that one. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, I wanted to just let you know about this cool TV show that my wife and I are actually watching. 
Uh, it's called The Lost Treasure of the Maya, I believe. Lost Treasures of the Maya. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's a National Geographic show. It's a four-part series where it takes you into the jungle where you can go through all these Mayan ruins. If you have a chance to watch it, it's super, super interesting. So plus. I mean, I've already been there, so no need for me. No need. No need. You're so well-traveled, Jake. That's right. In one in one specific location. All right. Number three for me. Uh, number three for me is a place that I've been in real life. The only one on my list that is a place I've actually been, but where specifically I wanted to do a very specific type of virtual tour. Um, there are some options for this, but none so far that I've found are exactly what I was looking for. So it's a bit of a a bit of a blemish on my list in that regard, but there are virtual tours of this place that you can take anyways. And it's, it's, I would love to do a VR helicopter tour of the Grand Canyon, Oh, like to slap, slap on some Oculus Rift goggles and to just like load up into a helicopter and to be like flying into and through the Grand Canyon. I just think that would be a really awesome virtual reality experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that the Grand Canyon is one of those things that you hear about. There's a lot of things in life you hear about and then you go see them and they don't really measure up to maybe the lofty heights that you've put yeah. them in your brain. The Grand Canyon is not one of those. Like I don't think you can be adequately prepared for just how truly awe-inspiring the Grand Canyon is. And to do a helicopter tour through it would just be incredible. It is a gobsmacking place, as they say. That's right. Yeah, and, and I think that you can do a whole bunch of actual virtual tours around the Grand Canyon. I think that there's there's yep. virtual tours where you can go down into the canyon on a on a donkey. I don't think they do the whole day-long trip or anything, but you can see a lot of aspects of the Grand Canyon um, virtually. You can even do a virtual raft tour. Yeah, and, and these are things, one of the things that you think about the Grand Canyon, I think that a lot of people have done what I've done which is you drive up there, you look over, you see the thing, and you're amazed. And you think, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do a rafting trip? Wouldn't it be cool to hike down? Those things, for, for a lot of us, just they just never happen. Um, right. the, the fact that you can do them online, I mean, that is kind of cool, just to be able to, to potentially do some of those things that, that you would never get a chance to do otherwise. Yep. Number three for you. Number three for me, this is one that you are either going to like or hate. I'm ready. Berlin Village from Hyrule. Sorry, say Breath of the Wild. Which village did you say, though? Berlin Village. It's the cool little village down in the southeast corner of of Hyrule, this video Mm -hmm. game world. Um, it has crabs, it has fish, it has these tropical, you know, these these thatch-roofed huts. It is like the ultimate tropical paradise. I have never actually been to a tropical paradise. Mm. But now that I've played Breath of the Wild, this is what I think of when I think of going to Hawaii or Tahiti. This is... This is something that it just when I when I actually played the game, there are a lot of places in Hyrule that that make me feel like I'm on a little mini vacation. This is probably the biggest one in that fictional world. And the thing is, you can, of course, visit it virtually just by playing the game. That's right. I actually think that's a great pick. Um, 
I I have waxed long and eloquent, or at least long, long. Yeah. about Breath of the Wild. Um, but to your point, and as many places as it can feel like an adventure and a vacation, Lureland Village is the most vacation-like. It's located on a little cove, like you said, on the southeast corner of the of their little plot of land, whatever you want to call Hyrule. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it's very idyllic, you know, just the, the raised huts for when the tide comes in the greenery, it's sheltered up against nestled up against the foot of, you know, the mountains. And so it's got a sense of tranquility and peace and worry about bugs. It's great. Yeah. And yeah. it, you know, compared to a lot of other places in Hyrule has a lot fewer bacoblins and yeah. Uh, moblins to worry about. You don't have to worry as much about dying. You don't have to climb as many cliffs. I have I have spoken at length about Skyrim. Um, and as beautiful as Skyrim is, it's a little cold to vacation there. I don't think I'd want to even do like a, a, a virtual vacation in Skyrim. It's just, it's just too cold. That's what you do every time you play. <laughs> it's work, man. It's, it's, work. it's work. Oh, it's all right. I'll give you that. You are working hard organizing your bookshelves oh, and your safes. Oh, goodness. Back to the bookshelves. I did just build my. Yeah, you are going to go back to the bookshelves. <laughs> number three for you. Number two for me. Oh, number two. Yeah, I, I'm going first this round. I know it's unusual. Usually I'm self- selfless to let you go first. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce this. So, you know, hopefully the the people of China will forgive me. Uh, but I would really like to visit Jiangjiaji <laughs> National Forest Park in China. <laughs> I am yeah. I I would help you out with the pronunciation, but I I'm no help at all. That's right. It's spelled Z H A with a some sort of accent mark. N-G-J-I-A with an accent mark, J-I-E with an action accent mark, and Jiang Jiaji. It's Avatar Land. Yes, it's most well known to us Westerners as being the inspiration for the floating peaks of the Hawaiian Mountains in the James Cameron's Avatar films. Yeah. Where they're just these massive, towering, pillar-like, floating mountains uh, in China and they, the erosion from water and ice and the roots of the trees has just created this really incredible range or national forest as they call it. And, you know, it's the park is home to an ancient temple from the ni- uh, the ninth century or sorry, the eighth, yeah, the ninth century, uh, as well as a cliffside glass elevator and the world's highest and longest glass bridge that's strung between two mountains 300 meters in the air. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and you can do a 360-degree video tour on YouTube, uh, an aerial 360-degree video tour. So I may have uh, to even this podcast is over, actually. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's really gorgeous and stunning visual, and uh, so there you go, Jiangjiaji National Forest Park in China. You know, looking at the pictures of this place, it, it reminds me 
that sometimes if you look in the right places on this crazy world of ours, you can find you can find landscapes that really do look like they're pulled straight from a video game where you think, how is that even possible? And this national park is, is that it is, a, it looks wondrous. It looks incredible. Um, yeah. And it, it seems like it would be perfect for a virtual tour for sure. Yep. All right. Number two, Paul, number two, I'm going to go a little bit dark on you. <laughs> I would love to do a virtual tour of Dante's nine circles of hell. Wow. Not only is that dark, I can't believe you just say you would love to do that. <laughs> well, maybe love, maybe love is a strong term, but I hope so. it would be, it would be pretty interesting, you know, just to, just to be able to go down in all these rings. I've read, uh, I've read Dante's Inferno a, a couple of times for various reasons. And, uh, it, the the imagery that that Dante brings forth in the book is is just so incredibly mesmerizing and and Jake you know that I tend to like you know horror movies and weird stuff sometimes and this would be sort of like the ultimate trip into a really dark place very dark <laughs> and but it would be it would be fascinating because as i read the book sometimes i have a hard time picturing exactly how all the circles work and what exactly it looks like and how they can fit all these terrible sinners into this one realm <laughs> so i think i would like to have a picture of what it would actually look like uh-huh uh-huh that would be uh can't say I'd join you there. In fact I can say for sure I would not. You would not be my Virgil. You would not be my my leader on uh, that. No, if I was gonna do something like that, I'd i I'd visit C. S. Lewis's purgatory from Oh Purgatory slash hell from uh yeah. The Great Divorce. That just seems boring to me. When I read about that, it just seems gray and boring. Well, see what I like about it compared to your literal hellscape <laughs> is that I'm not in literal hell when I'm so I'd be okay with a little bit of boring at that point. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I just get to witness other people's little hells that they trap themselves in. But it's not hellish to me. <laughs> Call me sadistic, but not as sadistic. Paul is just straight up sadistic and masochistic. It's a shame. He's like, I want to see people being tortured and also like <laughs> go there myself. Don't you think that would be quite the thing to see though? I mean, I really, I really don't <laughs> like only in the most theoretical context of reading Dante's Inferno. Does that make any sense? Like that's the extent of the virtual tour. I think that I need of that. That's what his book is supposed to do, is to give you the only virtual tour you'll ever need. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Number one for me is another one that I am for sure going to butcher the pronunciation of, because unlike uh, the last one, it doesn't even give me a handy phonetic guide to try to pronounce it. <laughs> Number one on my list is from Vietnam, and it's the world's largest cave, and it's called Hong Sun Dung, or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> There's a whole lot of letters and accent marks, H-A-N-G 
S-O-N-D-O-O-N-G, but it's the world's largest cave and it's located in Vietnam. And Paul, to your point about uh, the last one, this place is incredible. It looks very alien and that you have entire forests almost, jungles growing in massive sinkholes and 70 meter tall stalagmites and you know an entire forest growing inside of this cave and it's just a stunning visual and i think is a would be a fascinating it's a very tomb raider like or uncharted like place to to go and explore virtually or hopefully someday in person hopefully someday in person i think that'd be great yeah and are you do you like caves are you a, a do you enjoy going into caves or have you been into a lot of caves I have been into caves before. I'm not necessarily like a cave junkie. Um, I have no specific affinity for caves. In fact, I, I don't care for dark and tight spaces. I'm not fully claustrophobic, but I'm you know I'm not itching for it either. Right. Uh, the cool thing about this cave is that it's so massive. When you go look at these pictures, a lot of places have a lot of light because of the the design and the structure of this cave. And, uh, and so it just looks like, you know, the perfect kind of cave for me to visit. Yeah. To be honest with you, I have never heard of this cave before this very podcast, the pictures that I'm pulling up. It's pretty amazing. I think that you picked a good one here. And so you can tour this virtually. You can, yeah, you, you can, I, I actually just clicked on this virtual tour and so it's playing in my headphones right now and it's distracting because <laughs> it's a National Geographic and it plays audio and it's got pictures and a map and descriptions and you can drag and drop and look in 360. I mean, it is it is probably one of the better virtual tours available that I've found and that helped put it at number one on my list. Very cool. Very cool. You know, I'm, I'm muting it now. I'm going to just throw a little something out at you that you, if, if that appeals to you, you might want to check out the Lechagia cave near Carlsbad caverns. Uh cave. It is a hundred miles long, they think, but they don't think that they've uncovered all of it. People cannot actually go down in there. Like civilians, like you and I cannot go down there. Only cavers can go down there because a lot of the stuff in there is just so fragile. Uh, it's just impossible to do. And so, um, and so it becomes this really cool, unspoiled cave type scene. And I think that, um, I think that they have a virtual tour of Lechagia, but it's on CD-ROM. So hopefully that'll come <laughs> sometime and we can actually, actually, cause that's actually been a dream of mine is to see Lechagia and, and, and see it for myself at virtually speaking. I think that would be fantastic. That's right. I don't even, that's, I was just talking about this with my wife the other day. I don't even own a device that can functionally use a CD-ROM at this point. You're such a millennial, such a millennial. Uh, I, I don't have a single CD player in this house. Like I would have to, the only thing I could do to even play a CD with music on it would be to put it in my PlayStation 4. Oh, that is, that is so lame. I'm, I'm really sad for you. Very, very sad. Right. Okay, number one for me. Um, this would probably be my number one bucket list destination. Virtually speaking, I think it could even be higher on my list than number one. 
and I'm talking about Jerusalem. I would love to see Jerusalem. You know, there's so much history, so much, um, so much has gone on there, you know, from, from Judaism, Christianity, Islam, they all have this focal point of Jerusalem as, as one of their prime holy places. The fact that it has been such a historical part of the world scene for well on 3,000 years is fascinating to me. One of the things that I think would be really great, I, I, you can do a virtual tour of Jerusalem now, um, which would be fantastic. What I think would be really cool is to actually take the place back um, and be able to do historical virtual tours where you could see it from the time of the first temple or the second temple or what it looked like in the medieval times. And you know that, that you have the ability now to recreate so much of history uh, virtually speaking. And I think that it would be fantastic to be able to take multiple virtual tours of the place, you know, and just see it grow and change and see what the what the original um, Jewish temple was like and, and to see what it would have looked like back in the time of Jesus. I think it would be fascinating. I would love to see that happen sometime. Well, all you need is Mr. Whitaker's imagination station. Yeah. Yeah, I, Mr. Whitaker doesn't allow me to go into his imagination station anymore. <laughs> it's a it's a deep pull for some of our '80s '90s Christian nerd friends. <laughs> uh, which you know, the older you get, the more improbable <laughs> the imagination station becomes. As a kid, you're like, "Yeah, this is plausible. I'm buying it." <laughs> Not so much now. Not anymore. Now I'm like, this is a bunch of hogwash. I can't even buy this for a fake show. They're lying to me, lying to me. Uh, well, there you have it. The our, our top virtual destinations for you to visit. What did we miss? I think, you know, to a point Paul made earlier, this helped me realize just how many places I wasn't even truly aware of before. And I only picked five. <laughs> No, it's it, this was a good exercise, and, and in a way, it was a nice little mini vacation just for me, just to go through this exercise. It was it was fun. So thank you for that, Jake. Thanks. You're welcome. If you have one to or a couple to let us know about, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And now it's time for the most least important thing. We've arrived after some Netflix, no chill, after virtual vacations around the globe and into virtual fake worlds. We're here at the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours. Paul, kick us off today. All right. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a, a movie that I just saw. I, I watch movies for a living and, and believe it or not, there are still some movies to be watched. A lot of them are on video on demand. A lot of them are on Netflix. Um, but I saw one that, that Jake, I especially wanted to bring to the table today for you uh, because I think you would especially like this one. It's called I'm Jump ready. Shot. Jump Shot the movie. Um, it is a documentary actually. 
Um, and it's about this guy named Kenny Sailors. Have you ever heard of him? Um, only, you know, as a name in a textbook. <laughs> so, so for those who, I had never even heard of him before. Um, but I found out that, that Kenny Sailors invented, quote unquote, invented the jump shot that we know today from, from basketball, um, in the 1940s. He created it way back then. The That's maybe the least interesting thing about this guy because he became this, this superstar. He drove, he helped carry Wyoming to a national title. Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> never any, that would never happen today. They, he went to the NBA for several years, but his wife had asthma. So he disappeared for 35 years, took his wife up to Alaska. They formed this, uh, this hunting group and, uh, and spent, you know, most of his life actually in the wilds of Alaska. And so everybody forgot about him in between. He was 91 years old during the taping of this documentary he was still dribbling. He was still shooting the ball. He was one of the most delightful um, main characters I've seen in a movie for a long time. Um, had a chance to interview the director. He was a really fun guy to talk with. Um, you can find that interview over on Plugged In. I think um, you can download the movie. You can watch the movie on a lot of online platforms. Um, it's really worth the watch. It gives you someone who I don't, I, I don't, you know this, Jake, I'm not a big hero type of guy, but this guy, Kenny Sailors, he feels like a bona fide hero to me. And it was directed by your main man or not directed executive produced by your main man, Steph Curry. Steph Finn, the Steph, Steph Curry. Exactly. Those of us who are close to him call. <laughs> <laughs> Just Steph. kidding. Uh, it does sound fascinating, though I myself am a proponent of the standing set shot, so it might be a little controversial for me. The jump shot's overrated. Why exert so much energy? <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody told Kenny Sailors, as a matter of fact. That's right. I'm going to bring back the standing set shot. Yeah, yeah. Most least important thing that I've got this time around is hopefully another way to brighten up everybody's week as or weeks as we go through this time, extended time of quarantining. And that is a new YouTube show. As of this recording, this new YouTube show only has four episodes, uh, but it's exploded in popularity pretty quickly, but still compared to the population of the United States or even the world is pretty low. Like even if you take the millions of views that this new show has gotten and multiply it by the factor of the average American household, you still think that maybe only 10% of America has seen this show, Paul. So that's, and that's being generous. Right. Right. Cause we know people are watching this around the world. Yeah. You're not pitching our new YouTube show. Are you? Not yet. We're we're more in the tens of millions of views. I didn't want to brag. You know. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. No, but the, the new show is called Some Good News. And it's being hosted by John Krasinski, the actor famously known for his role as Jim Halpert in The Office, the U.S. version, as well as playing Jack Ryan in the Amazon Prime reboot of the Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy stories from... Way back when Tom Clancy's an old dude, 
Uh, most and of the kids today. A quiet place. A quiet And a quiet place. Most of the kids today, I bet, don't even know who Jack Ryan is or Tom Clancy. No, that's true. They probably know Tom Clancy best for, you know, being the guy whose name is on the video Rainbow Six video games. <laughs> but anyways, John Krasinski just started doing a little news show out of his office during quarantine because he want, he said he's looking around, he's seeing all the negative news, and he wanted to help highlight some happier things and some good news in the midst of all that noise. And so he started doing a janky little YouTube show. It feels very low budget, very goofy, and yet very, you know, in this moment, it feels very connecting of all of us because he's highlighting the goofy home videos and actions of people around the country and around the world who are just, you know, trying to find creative ways of being good neighbors to one another, to their families. And uh, it's been a really enjoyable little show. And I have to give a shout out to my wife. She introduced me to it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very delightful, fun, much needed diversion in this time. You know, it's, it, in some ways, you could almost say it's a virtual vacation in and of itself because it allows you to to get away from some of the scary headlines that we've all seen, all the downer information that we all absorb and, and our own fears and anxieties about sickness and work and all this kind of stuff. Um, to have a little bit of good news is a helpful thing, I think. And it's good for us to be reminded that there's still some good news out there. That's right. And and I like that it does so without being totally escapist as well. Right. That right. it it doesn't ignore what's going on, but it it actually seems to, in a way, lean into it to say, "Here we are with these new challenges. They're real. They're here. But here are ways that people are coming together to encourage one another, to help one another, to make one another laugh and smile, and um, in the midst of it." And I think I don't know that. John Krasinski necessarily has any faith background that he professes. Um, but uh, when I, was he raised Catholic? Yes. yes. Yeah. There's, there's something in the midst of it that feels like the best of Christianity uh, that, you know, when we talk about the Christian faith and Jesus stepping into a broken world and yet finding moments of beauty and connection with people in the midst of that brokenness, and developing community and relationship in the midst of that pain and suffering. Um, you know, this, this, there's echoes of that in here, even if that's not necessarily uh, his exact motivation. And so, um, yeah, it's been a really pleasant, pleasant little surprise in the midst of everything that's been going on. So there you go. Some good news. Love it. That's great. All right, folks, there you have it for this tour de force of a podcast episode. We appreciate hanging out with you. I, we want to feel more like we're hanging out with you even when we're not on the show. So uh, we'd love it when you come and make fun of us on Twitter or talk trash or uh, share your opinions, your thoughts, your ideas, life, just chat. You can Tease talk me about Doritos. Talk trash with Jake. I'm, I'm sensitive. I'm, I'm even, even wounded. That's right. Be nice to Paul. Talk <laughs> trash to <laughs> But uh, as usual, you can find us on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.